I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 5 and just hold that. We're going to get that as we continue in our series on When Helping Hurts. And in these next few weeks, what we're talking about is when God gets a hold of our heart, then what are we going to do with that? And how can we reach people that are far from God, uh, people that are hurting in our community? And you're going to hear some amazing ways that all of us can engage in that. And uh, so we just want to pray right now that God will just uh, help us to focus in on his word as we uh, move into this powerful scripture this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we surrender to you at this time, and we just thank you for the power of your word. Uh, As we studied last week, uh, Lord, that we want to be all in with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, when we're all in, we know that you you will stir within us something deep, deep inside to reach out and to help those. Even when we're hurting, Lord, you can help us to move to that person who needs you desperately. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. And all God's people said. Okay, I don't know if you know this or if you ever wanted to research this, but I've always been kind of amazed with the history of um, sympathy cards. Uh, How many of you in the last year, 2015, got at least one sympathy card? Anyone? Raise your hand. Boy, pretty sorry. Okay, well, I thought there would be almost all of you, but Hopefully you've got a sympathy card in your lifetime, but here's what's interesting about sympathy cards. In 1850, the postage stamp came into our culture. Shortly after that, people started writing little notes of encouragement, but it wasn't until actually 1971 that Hallmark realized that there was a huge market for sympathy cards, and they turned a guy loose to do all this research, and by the year 2000, not only Hallmark, but other companies realized the influence of sympathy cards. Uh, It is estimated in the year 2000 that there were 120 million sympathy cards that were sent out. And if you've received a really heartfelt sympathy card, you know that when you're going through a really difficult time, that that is a a good thing. Now, because of uh, email and internet, all the stuff that goes on, there is an abundance of sympathy cards. So I found some very Uh, heartfelt, touching sympathy cards that I want to share with you right now. Uh, Here's the first one. Uh, I like this, and it says, uh, I want you to know, (laughs) this is good, I want you to know that whatever problems you're having, I'm here to read about it on Facebook. Do you have friends like that? Yeah. Here's another sympathy card that I love. Everybody has bad hair days. Isn't that true? Matter of fact, if you're sitting by somebody who's having a bad hair day, raise your hand. Yeah. (laughs) Number three, I love this one. Sorry, I can't empathize with the pain over your team losing. Do we have any Packer fans here today? Ouch, boy. We all know what it's like to have people who say they're sympathetic that maybe really aren't. But I I want you to know we're going to go deeper than even sympathy this morning. Here's what sympathy means. It simply means a feeling of pity or sorrow. Now, there's a deeper word than that, and that is the word empathy. Now, if you're empathetic, it is the ability to understand and share, share feelings with another. In other words, you're not just saying, I really feel bad for you. You actually feel for them. You feel with them. That's empathy. But there's actually even a deeper, deeper sign of caring for someone, and it's the word compassion. Now, I want you to listen carefully to the words Uh, defining compassion. It is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Do you see the difference? 
because there really is a huge difference. Now, when you hear the word sympathy, empathy, or compassion, I want to ask a question. Which one of those resonates with you when you think of Jesus Christ? I want you to think about that. We know from God's word the power of Mark 6.34 when it says, and when Jesus landed, he was out in the boat uh, just trying to find time alone with his father. And anytime Jesus would land in a boat or come off a mountainside, who was always there? There was always a group of people wanting to get right to Jesus. And I love what Jesus said. He said he saw a large crowd and he had what? Compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Jesus' heart would just break for people. And he would take action because his heart was broken. He wants us to have broken hearts. Are sympathy cards good? Absolutely. Is it good when you have a good friend and you just spend time with that friend? Please, that is so important. But compassion is where you just feel this hard, just your heart is so heavy and it's broken and you feel like somebody is just in need of help and assistance and you take whatever action to help them. And when you've been broken and somebody has reached out to you that way, you never forget that. I know some of you are already uh, you're built this way. Your heart is heavy. You're like my sister, Linda. I grew up, I always say I grew up with Mother Teresa. My sister was the most godly, most soft-spoken, just servanthood. Just, she's just, just an amazing woman. And so why she gave uh, a brother like me, I don't know. I'm not sure she prayed often. God, why did you give me John? So, uh, but here's what my sister would do on a regular basis. She was always bringing home strays. Stray, any, any critter that seemed wounded, she would bring it home. Dogs, cats. One time we had this, this rabbit that was half marred, this little bunny, on Easter Sunday. I still remember this. And he died right before church. And she's, she's just bawling all the way to church. And I was like, you know, maybe 10 or 11. Very sympathetic young man. I'm like, what is your problem? That thing was going to die within minutes. You probably, you're going to get infected. You know, so I, very soft-hearted, you know, so... We all know people like that, and maybe some of you are that way. You know, you just have this very soft, compassionate heart. But here's the deal. God wants all of us to have that heart. So this morning, as we look at Luke 15, I want us to focus on a desire and then a call to action in regard to compassion. Turn with me to Luke 5, and let's see what God's Word's going to have for us this morning. Starting in verse 17. One day... Well, I want you to hold on to that thought. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there, just sitting there. They came from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into a house to lay before Jesus. And then when they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on a mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now let's just stop there. Now let's just back up because you need to understand really what's going on even in that culture 
and why this is so powerful. First of all, I want you to think about the house. We have a few pictures here of what the houses looked like in the days of Jesus. And many feel like this was Peter's house. And, you know, we don't like to put things in class in the Bible, but some would say Peter was from upper middle class. In other words, that this house was probably pretty good size. Now, what was interesting about those homes in that day is, uh, is the building, a lot of it was like, as it mentions in the scripture, more of a, a tile. And then when you get to the roof, you'd have some of the tiles, but then you would have almost like a hard mud, and then they would put almost like a grass texture on top of that to just keep packing down. Now, there was a, a couple of ways that people could actually get to the roof. One was they would actually have a ladder. But odds are, I was studying one scholar, and he said, odds are there wasn't a ladder because that also was just inviting thieves to get into your home. So then the real question is, with a home like this, like what you're going to see here, with a home like this and that kind of a structure, how did they get this poor guy who was laying on a mat? Now, this isn't like a stretcher, like you'd see somebody today. This is a, a flimsy mat that might have had just a few pieces of wood for structure, how did they get this poor, paralyzed man on that roof? Now, I want you to think about that. And one idea was they actually, some of them went through a neighbor's house and maybe came out of a window and then jumped over the roof because the houses were so close together. Regardless, think of the effort that it took. Now, here's something else in that culture. If you were paralyzed, uh, you were really, in that culture, if you were Jewish, you only had one way to get money. Anybody know what that one way was? You had to beg. So you would have to get friends who would move you to the city gate, and if you're paralyzed, at that gate, you would beg every day. So here's the same friends, imagine this, that are carrying him to the gate to beg every day. One day, they're like, there is this guy. And the word on the street is, He's healing people, and we're going to get you to him, and we are going to get you to him no matter what it takes. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that down and out, they will do whatever it takes to help you? And for them, the greatest gift they could possibly give their friend was to put him somehow in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I cannot read this text without thinking of a very good friend. Uh, because I have a good friend that works with me at Sherwood Oaks, and uh, she started a group at Sherwood Oaks called Roof Crashers. So I've asked Claudia Mitchell if she would come up and just share her heart why this scripture is so important to her and why it should be so important to us. I just love this story and this scripture. It's probably one of my favorites. About 12 years ago at Sherwood Oaks, a group of moms got together and read this story, and they decided to try to apply the principles in this story over 2,000 years later to see if they still work, to see if it still works that one day and one person in the presence of Jesus can change the world. Well, we started a, a small Bible study for young men and for young women, and we put this principle to, to work. And um, my goodness, last Friday, there were hundreds of women in the building who will do anything to get to Jesus, including crash through the roof for their friends. And they showed up with enough power to launch a rocket ship. Moms and mentor moms and their babies. Um, what a thrill. 
So, yeah, I love this story. And I love the way Luke begins it in chapter 5, those two words, one day, those two powerful words for an author. I love it that brings the reader in immediately when you read those words, one day. You get the idea something exciting is going to happen. And it also brings the reader into our own lives and our own one day. You think, wow, this is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Maybe this is my one day. So I love how Luke starts this story. Then he describes one person. On one day, he describes this one person. And you get the picture of this crippled man on a mat. Now, I don't know. I love John's picture of the mat and what it must have looked like. When I think about it, how Luke wants us to picture this man's mat. So think about it for a minute. It, I don't know what it looked like. I, I thought maybe his nana, you can tell I have grandkids. I thought maybe his nana took the clothes from when he was little and sewed them together and made his mat. Or maybe his mom went to the local market and bought the mat. I don't know where the mat came from. But this guy laid on the same mat every single day. And John gave us the picture of friends who would carry his mat lame before the gate and set it there. And it was dirty. The ground was dirty, and the mat became dirty. And I think Luke wants you to picture this mat. This man lays on it every single day. He spills stuff on it. And there's not any restrooms, so if you'll forgive me a minute if I use the word that makes my seven-year-old Reese laugh every time I say it, the rug was a poopy mess. And this poor man had it with him everywhere he went. You know, I think Luke wants to remind the reader that we all have our mats, don't we? Please tell me I'm not the only one when I say I'm a mess. Amen? Yeah, we're all a mess. Turn to the person on your left and say, I'm a mess. <laughs> now, turn to your person on the right and say, me too. <laughs> See, it's the truth. Luke wants to remind the reader we're all a mess, and we all are carrying around our messy mats. Well, and then he introduces the heroes of the story, the community. And it wasn't a big community, but it was four guys. Now, Luke says it's guys. I have a friend who's a theologian, and she says that actually that word is, new, is a neuter ending, so she knows there had to be a woman in the crowd to figure out how to get the guy up to the house. But I don't know. That's just my friend. But anyway, he had four good buddies that cared about him. And, and they cared about him physically. Yeah, this guy probably needed good physical attention. They cared about him emotionally. He probably needed to see a good counselor. He needed some good work done. And they, and, but they knew the most important thing was just what John said. The healing comes by taking your messy mat to Jesus. And they knew that's where this guy had to go. And you know, Jesus isn't surprised by messes. For crying out loud, he was born in a mess. He was born on a not-so-quiet night in a messy barn. So he's not surprised by any messes. In fact, Jesus said, I came to clean up everybody's mess. And I came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So his buddies knew, oh my goodness, we got to get our guy to Jesus. So don't you love the way the story unfolds? And then the ending. I love happy endings. In fact, I won't even read a book unless I read the ending first to make sure it ends happy because I don't want to waste my time. I love happy endings, but before Luke ends the story, he makes sure we know two things has to happen to have a happy ending. First, one person 
has to be willing to open up his messy mat and let the community see it. And that's tough. And sometimes it's the toughest place in the big community, the church. Sometimes the church hides and superficial and pretends everything okay and keeps the very people who need to be there out. Keeps the very people from feeling comfortable enough to say, hey, I need your help today. So one person has to say, hey, here's my mess. And, and if we don't, Dr. Brene Brown says it leads to shame. And shame, she says we're all swimming in a swamp line, a swampland of shame. And it hides in the dark, and it's lethal, and it kills. We have to be able to say, hey, I'm a mess, and I need some help. One person being able to say, help me. One day, one person, and then the beautiful ending. Don't you love it? I can just hear the music swelling and the orchestra playing as they lower their friend in front of Jesus. And, and I think I know what happens. I'm taking a little um, um, advantage of the text here. But I feel like Jesus, the straw's coming down, the person's coming in front of him. I think he looks up. And you know where these guys are. They're all looking down through the hole to see what's going to happen. And he looks up and he sees their faces, and I think he gives them the thumbs up when he says, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. And can't you imagine the looks on everybody's faces and the party that happened afterwards? Because one day, one person found Jesus. It's such a happy ending. And you know what? It could be our ending, too, for all of us. This could be the one day. Amen? Just let it be so. I want to share with you why this is a really hard text, I think, for a lot of people. It's because when we look around at all the needs around us, it's almost suffocating because the needs are so great. You read things like this. 26% of the world is starving. A million children every year die starvation. There's 150 million orphans or soon-to-be orphans in the world, and in the foster care system, there's over 408,000 children right now in the United States in foster care, and so we get overwhelmed sometimes. But before you leave here this morning, and as you, in just a few moments, take communion, I want you to think about, is this your one day and is there one person God is laying on your heart right now? They're on their mat. That's where compassion starts, is allowing God to get a hold of your heart and then just letting that sink in. Now go back to that text in verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, as Claudia said, he said, friend, your what? Sins are forgiven. Now, let me just pause there. Do you know how confusing this is right now? Now, think about all the reactions that are going on in that room when Jesus uttered those words. They have just lowered their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. So imagine, first of all, the friends and everybody in the room, they're confused because they're thinking, I'm not real sharp, but this guy's paralyzed and he's at the feet of Jesus and he says, your sins are forgiven. And they're probably thinking, I didn't think that was the right response. They're confused. The Pharisees that were in the room, and I always picture them, they were always in the front because they always wanted everybody to see where they were. 
Now, they're not confused. What are they? Man, they are mad. You know why? He has just declared, I am the son of God. Because only God can heal somebody of their sins. And you know who else is upset? The people who own the house. You just tore up my roof. You know, seriously. You know, think of all these emotions that are swimming around. And then here's what I love as you pick it up in verse 20 and then verse 22. It says, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now, you know what I love about Jesus? His timing is always perfect. Perfect. He's reading the room. He knows there's all these emotions that are just flying around. He knows the Pharisees are mad. He knows his friends are just a little confused right now. And so he takes this time to pause and he says, do you realize what's going on here? He wants everybody to know God is about ready to show up and do something you can't even imagine. And then, boom, this is the sentence. Don't you love this? Pick up your mat and what? Go home. Wow. You've got to put yourself there. You've got to imagine what is going on. Do you not think that room erupted? Absolutely, it erupted. And these guys on the roof, man, I can't even, I, I can see them like flying off of this roof and just running and, and they're trying to catch their friend. And can't you see them? And they're, they're probably all crying right now. And they're just holding this guy close. And they're like, can you believe what just happened? And what are you going to do? And he goes, I don't know. I'm going to go home, but I know this. I'm walking. No, 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 I'm running. You catch me. You know, can't you see this guy running all the way home? And Jesus is just sitting. I just picture Jesus like just relishing in that moment because they said that room, not only did they erupt, what did they do? They just began worshiping him because they realized this is it. This guy just healed this broken man. That's what Jesus does. That's where compassion starts. Compassion isn't just saying, I want to help you. Compassion is, I'll do everything that I can to get you into the presence of Jesus because if you encounter Jesus Christ, you will never be the same. And if your heart doesn't beat that way this morning, ask yourself, why doesn't it beat that way? We don't just come to church so we can check off, I went to church we come to church because there's probably somebody here right now and you're broken. And we come with our hearts open. And when we leave this place, we leave with our hearts wide open saying, God, this week, one day, help me to think of one person who desperately needs you. You and I can be a roof crasher if we decide to. It all starts with deciding one day, Lord, give me one person that I can help. I grew up in a, a little bitty church, but when I was in high school, we had this phenomenal minister, and his name was Chuck Sackett. And man, when he preached, it was fire in his bones. I, I couldn't, I mean, seriously, in high school, if you can imagine this, I could not wait to hear this guy preach every Sunday. And he was also one of these guys you knew, I mean, I don't mean this bad, we're like, he's not, he's not gonna be here long. And he wasn't, about four or five years, uh, he went on to be a professor at a Bible college, trained hundreds of uh, men and women communication to share gospel wherever they went. And so he's impacted hundreds and hundreds of people with 
uh, his life and being a professor. Now, 25 years, he was a professor at Lincoln University, and uh, he was retiring. They had this huge deal for him, and the last guy that spoke was a good friend of his named J.K. Jones, and some of you in this room may know who J.K. Jones is, but J.K. said, uh, you've heard all these amazing stories about Chuck, and he has his doctorate, and he's, a, he's brilliant, he's trained all of these people to preach, and he's just, he's an amazing man, but I want you to know why I love him like a brother. He said, a few years ago, at a high school game, my daughter caught an elbow to the eye. And if you've ever been to a high school basketball game, that's very common. And they, they brought her out, and the trainer looked at her and said, you need to put some ice on her eye. Uh, that looks like a pretty good uh, hit, and, um, but don't worry about taking her to the doctor. It, it doesn't look that, that bad. Uh, early the next morning, in agony, she came into the, the bedroom and said, Mom and Dad, I, I don't know what's going on. I can't see out of this eye. And they finally got her to uh, the hospital, and uh, she actually is blind in that eye. She lost complete sight. Now, every parent in this room, you know right now, this sickening feeling that you have. We should have done this. We should have done that. And then have you ever noticed when you're going through a crisis, the weather matches the crisis? And that day, a huge snowstorm blew in. So not only are they dealing with this deep, deep, agonizing remorse, now there's this huge snowstorm. They go to bed. They can't hardly sleep. And about 5 o'clock in the morning, he said, I, I heard something. And... I went outside, and I looked outside, and there's Chuck Sackett with his snow shovel making sure that my driveway was clear. And he said, that's why I love this guy. That's compassion. Compassion is picking up a shovel and just saying, you know what, I can't do a lot, but I can do something because I know this person is hurting so bad. That's what you pray for. God, when my heart is hurting I just pray that I'll do something. Don't talk about it. Don't even just send a sympathy card. Do something. God has called all of us to be a roof crasher. I want to pray. And then every week you know this, that we have what we call an invitation. It's an opportunity. If you have never given your life to Christ, we're here for you. Jeff is here. Larry's here. Well, we have so many folks here that would love to pray with you. And then after that, as we approach the communion table, you're going to see in front of every table today, it says, one day, one person. Who is God laying on your heart? Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and um, we just thank you that you, you have put within us the fire to be roof crashers, that we are called to have your kind of compassion. And Lord, the world at times seems overwhelming with all of the needs and Lord, help us to cut through the clutter and lay on our hearts that one person that we need to move in compassion to help. Thank you for loving us so much. You surrendered your son for everybody in this room. You surrendered your son for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.